Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to uh, talk about the uh, Digital Folklore uh, Project's Digital Lore of the Year. Uh, annually, they uh, make a list, and for 2023, the winners are a tie between Ocean Gate memes and Barbie memes. Other contenders include memes about the price of eggs, chat GPT memes, Taylor Swift era's tour friendship bracelets, and TikTok memes of awkward cats and confused dogs driving cars. So we bring in the co-directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. Jeannie Thomas, thanks for coming back. Good morning. And Lynn McNeil, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Always a fun, uh, uh, a fun program here. We do the early in the year. Um, we'd love to hear your candidate for top digital lore of the year. Uh, maybe just your favorite uh, meme or tweet from 2023, and you can reach us on Twitter at UPRAxis or uh, email us to at uh, to UPRAxis at gmail.com. That's UPRAxis at uh, gmail.com. Uh, so, Jeannie Thomas, uh, I guess, first of all, Digital Folklore Project, what is that? So, almost 10 years ago, we decided that there was all this folklore online that needed to be documented and commented on. And so to raise the profile of folklore and to get people to see that it's dynamic and it's online and to sort of break up some of the stereotypes associated with folklore. Yeah. Um, anything you want to add, Lynn McGill? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where there's other outlets who look at sort of a quantifiable you know, trend of the year or meme of the year in a what was the most shared image or something like that. And the Digital Folklore Project is different in that we might be looking at something that that could be even be fairly small, that might not be a huge reach, but that is a good illustration of the cultural significance of even trivial seeming cultural content, which is something that folklorists have always really strived to do. So it's a it's a nice way to kind of get the word out that it's not just a numbers game. There's a there's a cultural significance and meaning yeah. to this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeannie, digital lore of the year, uh, you, you used to call it something different. Now, now you call it lore. Trend. We used to call it trend. trend yeah. Mm-hmm. But we really wanted to point out that this is folklore and we want people to think about what that is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so digital lore of the year. So, so uh, Lynn, how does this work? How do, you, how do you compile this? So the basic idea is that throughout the course of the year, we are doing what ethnographers have always done, which is looking at the world around us and noticing patterns and saying, hey, this seems to be something that's you know coming across my screen, across my field of vision a lot. Other people are talking about it. It seems to be important to enough people that it's it's developing some sort of presence and we document it for me that takes the form of a lot of screen captures on my phone that I'll go into a file and towards the end of the year we get together and kind of sit down and say okay what was big what rose to the top what really stood out what kind of seemed to capture you know the the essence of the year and it's a fun review because by the time we get to October and November, we've almost entirely forgotten what January, February, mm-hmm. and March held. And it's so interesting to remember, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. I feel like we got a lot of, of trends from the summer this time. But then we compile lists. We make cases. We make arguments. We narrow it down to six or eight candidates divided into two categories um, social issues, kind of the more serious side of things, and then what we call serious fun, which is 
maybe the sillier side, but where there's also still a, a significant message there. And then we send out a ballot. We construct ballot entries. And I always end up partial to the ballot entries that I've helped mm-hmm. write because, you know, then I'm invested. And we have a panelist of folklorists um, from around the country who vote and tell us what they think. Yeah. Uh, so, Gigi Thomas, this is, uh, you're, you know, putting a, your finger on the pulse, I guess, right? This is. Yes. Yes. That, that's what folklore is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or our finger on the algorithm. On the algorithm, uh, maybe, whatever, whatever I don't know it might what be. The that's metaphor right, yes. is here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump right in. Um, and I've, I've, uh, Jeannie, you and I were talking before we went out there, and I, I confessed I'd missed half these. I guess I'm not plugged in. No, I, I, I would disagree with you, Tom. You're very plugged into your world, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. what's happening. I think more and more with everybody. Uh, the way that algorithms work and the way things are working, we're, we're more and more going down our own private rabbit holes that we share with lots of other people, but they're still kind of tiny. So if you don't know these, you have not culturally failed. You yeah. are not getting an <laughs> F in popular culture or folk culture or anything like that. Right. You're just human. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, so mm-hmm. Lynn McNeil, what's your response to that? Is, is, do you agree that the algorithms are... Yeah, this is segregating an, us. This is an interesting element because we've always had this concept of the echo chamber. There were folklorists writing about legends in the 1970s talking about the the confirmation bias involved in someone putting a legend out in the world and it, you know, going maybe just to two or three more people before it comes back to them, but then that reads as confirmation of, "Oh, see, I was right. It was true." So that idea that there's sort of a self-fulfilling thing that goes on here has been around in folklore studies for a while, but now we've got machines involved in determining what content we even see. And some of those algorithms are not made public. We don't know how they work. We don't know how it happens. And so we do see this siloing that's going on in the background that's changing what I see as the political landscape, the cultural landscape, what the internet even looks like is totally different to me, to you, to anyone else. And that can make for a really strange and fragmented experience when you suddenly find out what it is that everyone's talking about. One of the other um, early contenders that didn't make it on the ballot was the concept of girl dinner, which I thought was really interesting, tying into a lot of the gender themes of other trends that happened. But somehow... I completely missed girl dinner. And I remember being like, what? When when people started talking about it, I was like, this was a thing? It was a huge thing. Yeah. And yet I was not aware. Girl, girl dinner probably changed my life for the better. So, <laughs> What is girl dinner? Um, well, I actually didn't come across it via TikTok where a lot of people discovered it. There was an article this summer in the New York Times that I read about it. It's whatever's in your fridge that you put together for dinner. Okay. okay. And so sometimes it's yeah. like, you know, just a, a real slapdash charcuterie board. Or yeah. I saw um, uh, women on TikTok, they put macaroni and cheese in a giant wine glass and called it girl dinner, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Well, I, I think I'm an early adopter of girl dinner. Yeah, you know, I, there you so. go. I felt incredibly I do, I do validated. That. Yeah, that's Rensetter. right, yes. Yeah, I, I think I've been doing that by other names, I guess, or no name, right? <laughs> um, so, um, Lynn, I want to have you reassure me. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, anytime... Um, I kind of go neo-Luddite, you push back. No. I, I know, you yep. know. Uh, so this seems to be 
have some dangerous elements to it. The fact mm. that we're being pushed by these algorithms or encouraged or maybe willingly going where the algorithm takes us yep. and being totally unaware yep. of, of, of the whole worldview of someone else who's viewing things on a different algorithm. Yeah, and it, it leads to an interesting, I think, outcome where it's not even a matter of having different opinions or having a different stance on an issue. It's living in a world where there's a wholly different set of issues so that people are are strangely unprepared to have constructive or productive debate with each other on the other side of it. And I do, it seems that that we might be approaching some sort of crux of this where where something is going to have to give for people to be able to continue to communicate. I mean, it is true. I have always been an optimist about digital culture. Um, any form of mediated communication throughout time. I mean, going all the way back to the alphabet, we we have this wonderful criticism that Plato makes of this, you know, new technology in quotes. I often give my students this quote to read and don't tell them to whom it's attributed or when it's dated and and ask them what technology it's about because the, the quote is basically saying this new invention, it's going to give people the show of wisdom without the substance, it's going to make people forgetful, we're not going to be smart anymore, you know, it's going to be terrible and it's it's, it's the alphabet. <laughs> that's the technology that's being discussed here. And pretty much every medium of communication from then till now with TikTok has generated this sort of doomsaying and, and moral panic. And so I do think that the pattern overall shows that we will come out on the other side of this as well. But it's going to be a bumpy ride as we get there because we're going to need to find new mechanisms through which to establish common ground. Yeah. Uh, any idea what those new mechanisms would be? <laughs> oh, that's I guess, uh, that probably... To, to, to be determined. Yeah. I sure wish I knew what have, that was going to be. I have be. some thoughts. Okay. Oh, good. Yes. Basic rules. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the great thing about the alphabet is you come up with grammars and, and patterns of ways things go together. So there are basic rules. We really don't have those for the Internet. There's like no guardrails still. There's no traffic lights. We don't mm -hmm. all follow. You know, we're still we're the technology is ahead of us and we're always racing to catch up with the technology. Yeah. So and we're slow and our systems, you know, are one of the main systems that we have to deal with that right now are the courts like like the New York Times suing chat GPT for intellectual property violations, for stealing their copyrighted materials. But that's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. So it's those kinds of processes. And also, I think it's we are segmenting, so it will be interesting to see where people end up going. I feel like we are at a moment now where you can see change. Yeah. yeah. And we do have some small-scale movements that I think are – in the right direction and that are pretty positive. There's a, a strong and in, in so many ways, it's the grassroots level. Everyday people can change faster than institutions and legal systems. And so we've always seen a, an inclination to address some of these issues and inequities among the folk culture of, of people. And there's a strong push now online for um, accurate attribution of intellectual property. If there's an artist who puts their work out online and other people are screen grabbing it and sharing it and reposting it or using it as their avatar online, other people now will say, hey, that belongs to so-and-so. Just 
not to say don't use it, but to make sure that credit is given. People who share art without attributing it are getting called out more and more. And other people are coming in to say, hey, where'd you find that? Who created that? You know, don't don't even imply that that's your content if it's not. And that sort of self-policing nature of a community has really been grassroots. And, and it's getting to the point now where I find myself sort of saying, oh, this cool image I found. I should go and find the Instagram account of the person who created it and make sure I share that and give that person that, you know, boost as well. And I think that little bits like that where people are pushing back against some of the negative things are where we can look to for some of that optimism. Mm. One more thing on this, and I want to jump into the memes here, the the, the lore. Um, so I'll direct this first, Eugenie. Um, how, do I, how do I fight this? I mean, sometimes I embrace it. Sometimes I just go down the rabbit hole. You know, I want I want to I want to view all Romanian operatic sopranos, <laughs> and, and on YouTube you can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Then the algorithm will certainly assist me. Mm-hmm. I'll I... start with Ileana Kotherbas, and off I go. An enjoyable <laughs> evening, but uh, but sometimes I want just something new, and then the algorithm is not giving me something completely different. Yeah, well, of course, your searches can help with that, mm. and so it, it depends on what you. It's always what you put into it, right? Mm-hmm. And you can also, if you want something new or if you want to know what's trending, um, get on TikTok and, and find out what's trending. Just do that. That's a simple thing you can do. And then um, because, you're, because you're the wrong age demographic, you'll probably be horrified and yeah. run, <laughs> run back to the arms of those opera stars and, and be like, I yeah. was right. Yeah. Yep. Well, I've never been on TikTok. <laughs> I, that's, that's horrifying to admit. But, uh, but I am the right demographic to have never been on, on TikTok, so. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let's jump in. Um, Lynn McNeil, um, so the, there's a tie uh, this year between Ocean Gate memes and Barbie memes. Let's start with Ocean Gate. I, I was it, been totally clueless, and, you know, not of the yep. tragedy. And that, I guess that's a place to start. This is, these are memes based on tragedy. People died yeah. in yes. this submersible implosion. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a common form of folklore that we see is dark humor, dark jokes after a lot of major, we can go back and remember the 1980s and the Challenger explosion and joke cycles immediately, uh, you know, launching in with that. And that's something that folklorists have studied over time. And we we see that as well here. And, and as with so many things, there's often a real sort of kernel of poignancy there. And and I think the the Ocean Gate meme, to me, really spoke to the, the complexities of, of wealth disparity. So this was a privately owned submersible um, and tourism company that would, for the price of $250,000, take visitors to the wreck of the Titanic. And the submersible was named the Titan. And it was privately built, so it bypassed a lot of um, safety inspections and regulations that would otherwise it, it would have had to have gone through. And when it got to a particular depth, it imploded. There was a frantic search for a while in the hopes that people would be found and and uh, lots of analyses that came out later saying that it was a almost instantaneous thing that happened. So we can be comforted at least a little bit in the idea that it was not a prolonged suffering that anyone experienced. But of course, that that implosion came at this $250,000 price tag. And that's a, a real ironic and tragic dichotomy there, that that there is a point of wealth at which you can afford 
to do something that risky. And there's a lot of implications of, of private industry and technology there. A lot of the memes are about how the submersible was controlled, which was by a video game joystick, handheld uh, joystick, you know, controller. And so that seems incongruous, right, to people that all this money, all this effort, all this wealth, and it's basically a toy, a game. It's being treated in that particular way. So the, the memes veered in that direction often and then also veered in the direction of kind of the inherent class issues built into the Titanic and, and who was able to get off the Titanic and who wasn't. And so we see memes of the Titanic ghosts greeting the newcomers. We see memes about how the Titanic is still causing people to die at sea all these years later, things that sort of point out those elements. But but that in my mind, that that wealth issue, that wealth disparity and access to technology is is really at the heart of this. Mm. Judy Thomas, what, uh, what would you add to that? Well, I was just going to say they are dark. Mm-hmm. They reminded me a lot of uh, lawyer jokes. Mm because they're just the knife is in and twisted and of course these are coming from people who have the the emotional distance that they can tell these stories the people mm-hmm. aren't real to them and they're not close obviously family and friends are not telling these jokes and in fact they ask people not to circulate them but you know good luck with that it's the inter- it's the interwebs they're going to mm-hmm. circulate them um, stuff like props to the titanic still drowning rich people 111 years later memes like Poor people, rich people being underwater due to finances. Uh, people were a little self-critical in some of them, which I thought was interesting. One I found said, one meme said, 500 refugees drowned, I fall asleep. Five rich people kill themselves in their homemade hobby sub, laser focus. So it's, it's, it's a critique of ourselves, too, and mm-hmm. our culture and our media culture and this kind of culture of consumption. But very much you could definitely see the economic concerns that people have coming through in more than one entry for our ballot this year. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And, and it always this says something about our collective self, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's before we go to break, let's uh, do the other winner, uh, Barbie memes. Uh, Jeannie Thomas, you want to tell us about this? How can you not love Barbie memes? <laughs> I mean, um, one of the things that, that came out really loud and clear to me as I was doing this was that women are good at folk and popular culture. And this year really showed that. Uh, Taylor Swift and Barbie, they were pretty dominant this year. Uh, the Barbie memes, interestingly, picked up on some of the gender stuff, but they were also really about light and dark. You may remember some of the early ones were Barbenheimer because the the yeah. movie Oppenheimer opened on the same day as Barbie. So you get you get the sweet pinkness of Barbie and the heavy darkness of the A-bomb. Well, you know, that comes together in memes of like um, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling as Barbie and Ken in the pink convertible fleeing a giant A-bomb explosion <laughs> or the or just a picture of an A-bomb explosion that's pink now and you immediately recognize that that's Barbie. I mean, that movie was everywhere, so much so that here we are sitting in the Mojo Dojo Casa Studios of Utah Public Radio, and if you've seen the movie, that's one of several lines you'll recognize. Lynn McDill, what do you add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really... 
I was fascinated by how so many of the the examples of digital lore that we looked at this year really emphasize these dichotomies, the light and dark of of Barbenheimer specifically, that unintentional double feature. There were a number of people who went on purpose to see both films on opening day. Mm. And there were discussions of in which order do I see them? (laughs) What do I want to be my ingoing experience versus my outcoming experience from this? And I think it's really great commentary on the way that we use popular culture to speak about our own lives. So the the experiences that we're having and that we're seeing, we get to cast Barbie and Ken, you know, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. We get to have them explain our experiences and our stances for us when we take content from films and make memes out of them. And clearly we had a lot to say that Greta Gerwig knew we needed to say because it is really one of the most memeable movies. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk about some of these other contenders. Uh, Memes about the price of eggs. Uh, Taylor Swift era's tour Friendship Bracelets. Uh, TikTok memes of awkward cats, confused dogs driving cars, and uh, and much more. Uh, we're talking about the um, digital lore of the year for 2023, as determined by the Utah State University's Digital Folklore Project. We have with us the uh, two directors of uh, that project, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. Oceangate memes and Barbie memes. We've talked about those. Those are the two winners uh, as digital lore of the year for 2023, as determined by Utah State University Digital Folklore Project. And we're talking about uh, this um, with the, the co directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. Um, so, um, Lynn McNeil, maybe let's go to. Another contender this year, memes about the price of eggs. <laughs> this this was one of my favorites. I was I admit I was a bit hoping that this one was going to this one was going to be our winner. Um in in some ways themes similar to Ocean Gate where we get um kind of a a really great illustration, <clears throat> excuse me, of the inaccessibility of of normal everyday items these days. So we see that that wealth disparity standing out and and eggs really seem to be an item that that highlights this inaccessibility. We know that there's a housing crisis. We know that people are being priced out of being able to own a home, especially younger people. Um, But when suddenly people can't afford eggs, I mean, a staple of diets around the world, this really seems like an encapsulation of the moment. And so we got a lot of really clever commentary. One of the most popular memes was someone being presented an egg in a jewelry box or a ring box with the the line, he went to Kroger, which is, of course, a spoof of the jeweler's line. He went to Jared or, you know, another jewelry store in picking out a ring. This is now the most priceless thing you can give a loved one is a single chicken egg. <laughs> um You know, people talking about, you know, memes of how in the past when I shopped for eggs, I would just pick a box of eggs. But now that they're nine dollars a box, I'm scrutinizing every single egg and making sure that they're perfect. And and I think it's we have had the opportunity to see these issues of 
of the excessive cost of daily life in any number of arenas. And I think it's really telling that it began trending with eggs because that seems it's not avocado toast. Mm. The 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 you know slam of years previous against the millennial generation. Oh, you can't afford houses because you're spending your money on avocado toast. We can no longer say, oh, this is a, a privileged and expensive food item that you're wasting your money on. It's eggs. These are things that should be accessible and affordable to everyone, and now aren't. And so it it's really a concise articulation of how dire things have become. Gene Thomas, anything to add? Yeah, uh, the the whole egg thing is interesting and the the economic argument that it presents because it's got some longevity. Before, a, a year ago last fall, you saw the same kinds of taglines. In fact, some some were exactly the same. She wanted to go someplace expensive, so I took her to a gas station. Mm-hmm. So you saw the same thing happening with gas. And you're seeing these basic things that we see in our everyday lives that where we feel the economic pain. And so they're they're coming up in people's memes and you can clearly, clearly see that. I will also say the egg has a bit of a storied history as just being an important meme. It was um, a few years ago, I think it was around 2019-ish, uh, late, late, late teens. Anyway, it was the most. It was there was an Instagram, and somebody just said, "Hey, here's a picture of an egg. Let's make this the most shared image." That's right. And it did become that for the moment. It was later surpassed by some um, images from a, a soccer game. So the egg has been around, and it's kind of a classic form. I think my favorite weird little meme I saw in that one was a picture of a large pan of scrambled eggs and somebody holding it and it was a Halloween trick-or-treat meme and it said okay children only one handful (laughs) per child (laughs) I love the one that shows a a a cart with a pallet of eggs you know hundreds of eggs stacked up on it and it just says I wouldn't tell anyone that I won the lottery but there will be signs (laughs) (laughs) right you'll have the eggs yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, so, Jeannie, you, you mentioned the soccer game. Do you recall yeah. briefly beat out eggs, I guess, the egg? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's That one's been, um, I think it was in maybe an, a p- picture or an Instagram post. I, I should stop talking about it now because yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. But I am not all a right. soccer fan. I mean, yeah. it could have been Sopranos for yeah. all I know, playing well, soccer. I mean, it's, it's a rich field because... because Everybody's kid goes to soccer, right? You know, yeah. Oh, this was this was this was like a, in a championship game. Oh, so this it was, was like World Cup level okay, professional. Gotcha, gotcha. I wish it would have been somebody's kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I tune out because it's professional. Right, right. It's sports, so I want the folk thing. If it'd been somebody's kid, I'd know about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about uh, Gina. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. Um, so Taylor Swift era's tour friendship bracelets. So you all know Taylor Swift has been a phenomenon, uh, just increasing, just. From strength to strength, um, I'll, well, I'll, I'll admit right here that the, the risk of of the Swifties coming for me, uh, I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I think she's fine. I think she's okay. <laughs> but but, but uh, you know, we're all ducking now, yeah. like incoming <laughs> attacks. No, no, I, I, it's somewhat logical because I think I'm probably not the demographic. Correct. But on the other hand, it seems like everybody in the world is the demographic. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but but this is this is a, definitely a phenomenon. This is this, uh, you, before we went in there. You were you were 
describing this, or people describe to you that this is a religious experience almost. Correct. Uh, for some people going to a Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, yeah. I, the and it's and it's because of a, a fancy word called communitas, where you you feel connected with all these people you don't know, and you feel like you're on the same level. It feels very equal, and you share this intense experience with them, and so there's this intense connection, which is a religious feeling often, and you can get it. At, at a concert or with any kind of fan group. And she is very good at evoking that. And I am not, I'm the wrong demographic for her too, but because so many people around me are so interested in her because she was on the list, I did a deep, deep Taylor dive. And okay. I have much to say about Taylor. And I think I, I think I get it. You get it. I okay. think I get so it. So tell me, tell me. Well, uh, she... And this is a good year to talk about it with with Barbie looming giant in pink in the background. She pays attention to young women mm. and she gets young women and she she speaks pretty directly to them. She's uh, I actually think she's a pretty good songwriter. I've looked at a bunch of her lyrics now and, and she she's writing about real world everyday experiences in some pretty smart ways. And also keyword is relatable. Mm. So she doesn't do the the diva operatic i can see why you don't like her she doesn't do that kind of thing with her voice but what she does do um in my folk world she kind of reminds me of pete seeger Mm -hmm. she sings songs that you could sing at karaoke that you can relate to and they're about things that happen in everyday life and she's excellent at that and she produces those at a great quantity she's also really good at giving young women power and saying i see you and building relationships with them so, for example, she takes on toxic masculinity in the music industry all the time from when she famously sued the DJ who groped her for a dollar and won. She's always doing that. It shows up in her lyrics. She calls people out for it. And young women feel seen and they love her for mm-hmm. it. And that's, that's, and that's why they show up at her concerts so much so that in Seattle the sound of them um, bopping along to her and stomping and clapping registers as a Earthquake 0.23 on the wow. Richter scale. Wow, that's power. You know, that, that is power. And she yeah. also pumps five billion into the economy. So yes. she's yeah. this great businesswoman yeah. and an entrepreneur. So it's that approachability and also being attuned to gender issues and power issues. She's very supportive of the LGBTQA plus community. She's also very supportive of her cats and the yeah. and really gets cat people into her mm-hmm. and. Um, Parents take their kids to those concerts. It's just a, and people dress up. They do the whole fan thing. It's really interesting. She's also, she draws on, I think, people's nostalgia and she remembering things from childhood and things like that. Yeah. She's also, she's got some great, if, if you, if you ever Google, um, <clears throat> Taylor Swift Goat Remix. You get her song Trouble. It was a classic. Came out mm-hmm. in I think the mid teens. It was a classic. She's got a nice history of folklore. Classic where she sings the chorus Trouble, and then immediately after you hear a goat scream <laughs> bleeding, kind of <laughs> after she screams Trouble. And uh, kids used to uh, play at that at dances and jump up and scream. And uh, so she's been she's been doing folklore for a long time, but. In this case, she did friendship bracelets, which is a classic. I love this one because it's so old school folklore. Yeah. I mean, this is this is material culture, folk material culture that kids make for each other. You braid a bracelet with your best friend, and then you, 
you know, tie it on his or her wrist, and the person can make a wish, and that bracelet will stay on their arm and, and get hopelessly grubby, and parents will despair of that <laughs> gross thing ever coming off the kid's <laughs> arm, and then when it finally falls off, you get your wish. So that's super folkloric. Mm. She wrote about it in a song lyric, and then tweeted some pictures of, of bracelets she had made, and that then bumped it up to popular culture kind of level and spread it further and amplified yeah. that trend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. Uh, Lynn McNeil, <clears throat> what would you add to this? Yeah, I think one of the things that's so great about that is that it it's so accessible. The, the tools and materials needed to make bracelets, whether you're beading or weaving or however you're doing it, isn't beyond the reach of of many young women, her her main fan base today. And we we live in a world where concert merch is often priced outrageously and, and hard to get and becomes these, you know, items of achievement. And here we have young women who are going to a concert and being given bracelets made by strangers who are now friends, who are, you know, now fellow fans of Taylor Swift and and this exchange. And, you know, we see images and memes of of girls with bracelets stacked up their wrists that say different things, references to lyrics, their own names, things like that. And Taylor Swift isn't making any money off of these bracelets. She's not making them and selling them. It's not a commercial item. It's this item of community that people themselves are making and shaping and bringing and then giving away and sharing and trading and all of that. And it becomes this almost folk economy of inclusion that takes place around the phenomenon that is Taylor Swift. And that, I think, is really fantastic. I grew up in an era of making friendship bracelets and giving them to people, and it wasn't around a particular icon in the same way. But I think it's a real positive use of Taylor Swift's influence that she can bring back something like that within the context of her concerts and and do it in this way that allows other people to show and share their creativity and their artistry and their abilities and their ability to include people. I, the news was full of stories of of young women who showed up at the concerts without bracelets, but were given them by those who had brought 17 to, to <laughs> hand out and share. And, and just that sense of wanting people to feel like they belong and like they're a part of this community shows the nature of this community in an incredibly positive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big community, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, big huge enough, concerts. And, yeah. Big enough to pump $5 billion into the economy yeah. this summer in mm-hmm. what um, economists called the T-Swift lift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, which we're all grateful for. Yeah. 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 So we all owe Taylor. Yeah, we, we do. Yes. Yes, we do. Somewhere in there, there's a tie to the price of eggs. Eggs are finally <laughs> affordable right. again because of Taylor because Swift. Because of Taylor. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, final segment. Definitely want to hear about uh, TikTok memes of awkward cats and confused <laughs> dogs driving cars. We're uh, we're going through some of the uh, top digital fo- lore of the year for 2023, as determined by Utah State University's Digital Folklore Project. And we're talking with the co-directors of that project, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are reviewing the digital lore of the year for 2023. This is determined by Utah State University's Digital Folklore Project. And uh, our guests are the co-directors of that project, USU English professor Jeannie Thomas and 
Lynn McNeil. So we've talked about the winners, OceanGate memes tied with Barbie memes. We've also talked about uh, the pri- memes about the price of eggs and Taylor Swift era's tour friendship bracelets. Um, definitely want to uh, go next to TikTok memes of awkward cats and confused dogs driving cars. Uh, Lynn McNeil, do you want to talk first about this one? Yeah, this is this is really interesting because it's it's one of the trends that is not necessarily specific with regard to the theme or the the topic of it and is really united by the template that's being provided. And this is something that different platforms allow for in different ways. And TikTok is pretty unique in that it's generating what amounts to really a sense of folk cinematography, everyday people being able to create these videos using techniques and skills that really were not available outside of, you know, professional editing until really recently. So these images come as green screen templates where you can put this cat who appears to be driving a car, this dog who has this sort of, you know, anxious expression on his face into any scene you want, into a scene in your neighborhood, into a scene in a city, into with a particular soundtrack so that we get these images being able to comment on a lot of different things. So we see a huge spread of topics that are available here that these things are sort of commenting on, right? This sort of world-weary expression on this cat's face. We get a lot of me driving to work for my 8 a.m. shift at 7.59 a.m., you know, <laughs> um, and sort of this, oh, well, what can I do look? Or or one of the the other examples that we included in our ballot, millennials in the Starbies line to get a rush of serotonin when we should be going to therapy instead. So we can use these sort of iconic images in a number of different settings to say a number of different things. Uh, Jeannie Thomas, what would you say about this as well? Yeah, I really think, again, like the egg, this is sort of a classic, Mm -hmm. dogs and cats on the Internet. Imagine that. In this case, they're TikTok videos, which, by the way, videos in the folklore world still count as memes and in Mm. other worlds, too. And I really like uh, what's going on here. I think it's a great comment on sort of where we are in the digital landscape right now, how we feel. the humans aren't driving the cars anymore, mm. you know. And um, with our other one, ChatGPT, uh, that showed up on the list, there's lots of anxiety about that. And I kind of think that that one makes it look – I'm kind of thinking I would rather have the cat driving the car than the bots maybe. <laughs> so I, But it just speaks to that long history going back to like Grumpy Cat and the cat at the dinner table, how much we like that. Also – Politicians should ignore kitchen table economics at their peril because, again, in this, you see things like uh, the dog that looks anxious and worried saying, oh, this is me when I buy five items at the grocery store and it's $65. That Mm -hmm. that theme appears again and again. I also like the dog is small and (laughs) and black and has big eyes and it just looks really worried. And there's one that says the look I give my brother when mom says something really problematic. (laughs) I mean, super relatable. We've all been there. And so this this template spread around the world and it's really fun to see uh, people writing on it in different languages but that 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 sort of something else is driving the car and it's not us really spoke to a lot of us this past year uh so uh you tell me about chat gpt memes what what kinds of memes are out there Uh, um mostly they're 
there are a lot of them that show our anxieties or make fun of chat GPT. Uh, so, um, like, oh, I had, I had, uh, pulled one about how, how many, how many, you asked chat GTP, how many letters are in the word 19? And it says eight. And, and you're like, really? And chat GPT says, oh, sorry, it's nine. Thank you for pointing my error out to me. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is what we've got? This is this genius thing? So, um, but there's a lot of anxiety about uh, it taking over. Certainly in the academic world, plagiarism, we mentioned intellectual property, chat GPT taking over intellectual property when we were just kind of talking earlier, and um, how that's becoming really important right now with the Times and other other people, artists suing ChatGPT. So it, it's, it'd be really interesting to see what happens with that very yeah. issue. Yeah. The, Lynn, there are a lot of things to be anxious about. Right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and we haven't even mentioned 2024 as election year. Oh, I know. And the role that all of these different things, ChatGPT especially, will play in this upcoming election. I think any time that we have sort of an information vacuum where we don't understand how something works. We don't know what's going on here. Um, that anxiety ramps up and then the folk response to it just ramps up super high. And I think one positive thing is that the memes are not letting us overlook the fact <clears throat> that ChatGPT is a complicated and potentially problematic technology. And I think that that's a really good thing. You know, the word 19 has eight letters. We can see that. And here's this brilliant machine so quickly, just, you know, cowing to just someone saying, really? Or are you sure? And oh, yes, no, I'm sorry. It must have nine. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting spread because if you've ever interacted with ChatGPT, it feels like magic. It really is impressive. I think the thing that knocked me over the most was I asked it once to write an obituary for Gargamel, the villain from the Smurfs, <laughs> and it did it perfectly. Mm. It captured that tone of apologizing for a bad person's life and trying to cast them in a good light with mm. a lot of very weird details from the Smurfs. Um, and then yet it gets really basic things wrong or it fabricates information and fabricates sources for that information. And that's a really dicey realm to be in if people are beginning to rely on this technology instead of the search engine or instead of their own critical thinking involved in this because we don't know what's motivating this technology to give us the information that it does. And that's a very strange place to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeannie Thomas, um, you, you only did six this year instead of eight, yeah. uh, unless you talk about internet exhaustion. I was thinking, you know, heading into an election year, at the end of which we might have the return of President Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you know, it depends. So your reaction depends on where you are on the political spectrum, right? But I was thinking about Kofefe, which, yes. made, which made the list, it seems to me, like 20 years ago. Yes, it feels... It, it's, it, that, yep. That's an indication of internet exhaustion, right? Yep, mm -hmm. yep. And the reason we didn't have as many... I've noticed this this year with my students, and I'll be interested to see if it continues, but is um, they really are segmenting, and they're going into their own little silos. And so there's not as much shared stuff that they all get into. Mm -hmm. And so... And I also think that I'm seeing the decline of the classic... Um, meme where you have the 
picture with the words across the top and the bottom. People aren't sharing those as much anymore. TikTok is taking over, and it's really all about the video right now. Yeah. Uh, just uh, 30 seconds left. Anything you'd like to add on, on that topic? Yeah, I Linda, think... Go. I think that our two major platforms on which we saw so much content, Facebook and Twitter, are now problematic in ways that they weren't before. They're politically problematic and culturally problematic and algorithmically problematic. And so in a sense, we don't have those broadest of bases where we might be in our own communities on the side as well, but we're also there. We're there less now because largely of the people who run those companies and it will we will find out in 2024 where, if anywhere, we have an opportunity for consensus. We'll uh, certainly uh, certainly find out, and hopefully about this time next year, we'll be back with another, <laughs> the, the Digital Lore of the Year for 2024. Um, we've been talking about Digital Lore of the Year with uh, uh, the co-directors of the Utah State University Digital Folklore Project, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. Thanks, both of you, for coming in. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, always appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll go out, as we do on Thursdays, with uh, Leo T. and Skywatcher. One sky, many cultures, Skywatcher Leo T. Taking the little Skywatcher spaceship out for some exploration to Saturn and its moon, Enceladus possibilities of life on Enceladus might be verifiable. New research suggests locations on the surface of Enceladus where spacecraft could land and scoop up pristine traces of the key ingredients for life. These biosignatures come from subsurface oceans within the world's icy shell. Enceladus has long been known to harbor organic materials, carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen in its subsurface oceans. Before it plunged to the surface of Saturn in 2017, the crazy Cassini spacecraft flew through plumes of material erupting through fissures in the surface of Enceladus, reaching massive altitudes launched thousands of miles over Enceladus. And even further out in space and time, Halley's, or Halley's as I grew up knowing it, Comet is beginning its 38-year-old journey back toward Earth. The famous Comet is on its way back through the solar system. Halley's Comet last came to a viewing spot from space in 1986. Halley's or Halley's travels around the sun in a flattened elliptical orbit that brings it near the sun and then takes it far out to beyond the outer limits of the solar system. Ever since February 1986 when it arrived at perihelion, that's the comet's closest approach to the sun, it then began its long journey back out into distant space. From that time up to the present, the comet has been moving away from the sun but at 6 p.m. on Friday, December 8th, Halley arrived at Apahelion, the far end of its orbit, close to 3 billion miles distant. As the comet comes back toward the inner solar system, the comet will reach 472 million miles beyond the orbit of Neptune, still way out there in the solar system. The last time Halley was at this point in orbit was in April of 1948. And switching gears a bit, fossilized footprints suggest mystery animals once walked around on bird-like feet long before the earliest known avian species appeared, paleontologists say. Footprints predate the earliest known fossils of avian ancestors by roughly 60 million years. Mysterious creatures with bird-like feet roamed around southern Africa more than 200 million years ago, according to the new research roughly 60 million years before the earliest known bird ancestors. So that's a breakthrough. 
These footprints predate the earliest known fossils from the ancestors of modern birds, which are roughly 150 to 160 million years old. It's many cultures, one sky, and since we're in the realm of bird-like creatures roaming the earth long ago, let's look at the hawk, an amazing creature that can float above and swoop in and is wild and beautiful. This from Pomegranate Communications and Susan saden -Boulay. There are many species of hawk, each with its own legends and folklore. The birds have symbolized healing, freedom, vision, and rebirth. In Egyptian mythology, Isis, the goddess of abundance and fertility, assumes the shape of a hawk as she gives birth to her son Horus, who then dies and is reborn. She also becomes a hawk to join her husband Osiris in the underworld. Native Americans associate the hawk with potent magic and use its feathers in healing rituals and ceremonies to bring rain. And from my personal trek, the OTE hawks are very aware of you. As you head out on a hike, up City Creek, or somewhere up in the trees, or in a canyon, if you ask them, they might fly directly over you and grace you with their presence and acknowledge you're wanting to communicate. So live well, get out in the blue sky, and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T.